everyone. I am this is Nishant Malhotra from the Middle East. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Robert Karanja. Hello, Dr. Karanja. Great to have you here for a deep conversation on the evolving innovation within the social and development sector in Africa, especially in the healthcare sector and genomics. A very brief introduction. Robert is uh, the co-founder of Willgrow Africa. He has got a PhD and masters in medical peristology and entomology from Jumo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology. He, he did his PhD and masters from there and he did his bachelors in biology from North Park University. Before setting up Wilgrow Africa, Dr. Robert wore many hats as a professional within the development sector in Africa. So hello Robert, great to have you here. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure to be here and um... I'm excited to talk about the work that we've been doing in Kenya. So thank so, you for Robert, having me. Sure. Robert, uh, you wore many hats before setting up Willgrow Africa as a co-founder. Now, please share your experience in enabling social change and impact within the development and social sector in Africa. So this is more of a journalistic question. You could talk about your critical insights on the struggles and key successes in the early part of your work in building up entrepreneurship-driven system in Kenya or in Africa? I think uh, I have a biomedical uh, science background and uh, started off my career as a research scientist uh, at the Kenya Medical Research Institute. And uh, one of the things that I, I can say in terms of my road, uh, my, my, my roadmap towards uh, setting up Bill uh, Grove was that you know first of all if you look at uh, the setup for kendry or for you know the research space within africa it's it's really interesting because we we are doing a lot of investment and so my big question was what can be done why do we have so much poverty in our country and uh, yes, you know, science can be able to solve some of the problems that we're facing, uh, but how do you then translate that science um, uh, output into impact, you know, um, and beyond the clinical studies and the validation, the translational research, how do you actually solve the problem uh, for, for, the, for the community that, that you live in? Sharing about a little bit about my journey uh, and, and being able to participate in this international training program on innovation systems that was um, uh, that was organized by CIDA and uh, Vinova, the, the Swedish Development Agency, International Development Agency, and uh, the Swedish uh, Innovation Agency. We put together an amazing uh, program that was one month long, uh, learning about innovation systems, thinking, and experiencing the innovation system in Sweden and, and, and then being able to come back home as a change agent to start implementing some of that thinking in the work that I was doing at Kemri. And, and this was really um, a huge turning point for me in my life uh, because I, I, I started looking at the big picture, you know, moving from where I was focused in my, with my test tubes to expanding my thinking to understand to having a line of sight from what I was doing in the labs to how that can actually end up in, in a manufacturing setup and ultimately in a health system, um, being able to, you know, uh, impact people's lives. And, 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 and that was really uh, something that just blew me away and, and I was able to quickly start uh, organizing and, and reaching out to people uh, who had a similar desire to see science really being able to translate into impact uh, and, and starting to implement some of the concepts of, of knowledge-driven economy like the triple helix, uh, the, the global competitiveness uh, index uh, that the World Economic Forum puts together, uh, comparing how does Kenya perform versus the BRICS economies, um, understanding why are we having such a huge gap between our GDP and uh, and the 
and the Human Development Index, for example. Uh, so all of these things really uh, made me realize I can't just operate as a scientist. I need to take the next step and, and start to build a pipeline that, that ultimately makes the, the science uh, actually starts to have impact in the community. So there were many struggles um, as part of, as I was trying to do this, um, what the language of innovation and uh, commercial, you know, market entrepreneurial uh, investments was all foreign language within, within my academic setup, within the research organization. And we, so I really did not have a lot of institutional support even as I was trying to wear an entrepreneurial hat. And some of this was really simply due to things like, you know, not having a business model uh, as, a, as a research institute on how to enter the knowledge economy. And, and then the other thing that I noticed is for, you know, when you're talking of things like the triple helix, um, you, 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 you be able to build a health innovation system with the work and the, the the initiative kept falling through the cracks, you know. Um, so on the one hand, it's a health innovation system, so does it belong under the Ministry of Health? Or, you know, the research and academia falls under the Ministry of Education, and I'm talking about industrialization, there's a Ministry of Industry. So who who is a champion uh, among all of this? And how do you get uh, entities to, to work coherently? Uh, risk tolerance um, within public sector is generally low. Um, and even within academia, we don't publish our failures, we publish our successes. So um, just the mindset, the enabling environment was, was really restrictive. And I think uh, ultimately, because uh, we we still pioneered and uh, you know, together with my tight uh, group of friends who are, who are trying to be very entrepreneurial within that setup. We, we still um, had you know, more basic challenges, just, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, Sweden must have been a fantastic experience. It's a great country, one of the best medical systems in the world, one of the best equitable uh, medical systems. I, I mean, uh, that experience yeah. itself would have been, you know, so amazing, uh, very intellectual, how would you rank that as a change within all the gamut of things which you've done? To, to be that that was the watershed moment. That that's when you know I I think I in a sense found my calling um, in terms of how you know how, how do I connect what I'm doing to solving the poverty issues, and 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 it's important to to highlight that. You know, for, for the health sector, when you are in a low-income country, you know, uh, low and middle-income country setting like like ours, um, focusing on health um, purely from a social impact perspective does not cut it. Um, I can assure you, poverty and health are so interlinked. Yeah. that poverty is both the cause of poor health and a result of poor health. And so there's this vicious cycle that if you don't understand how do we break that vicious health from within the public sector thinking, uh, from it being just a black hole that is needing more and more funding, it can actually be seen as an economic pillar that can actually build the tax base, actually create jobs, actually create wealth even as you solve the social impact issues, uh, then it's very difficult to get government to invest in health, to invest in health R&D, and ultimately to actually the sustainable uh, development paradigm. You know, how do we move from a vicious cycle to a virtuous cycle? Uh, that is, you know, come up with solutions in, 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 in research, in academia, monetize those solutions, uh, with, with frugal innovation thinking, with social entrepreneurship thinking, and start creating jobs, start creating value chains, start creating solutions. Uh, to me, that is really the the the, the, the what, what has become my my, my rallying uh, cry uh, or my my life's work uh, since that time. 
Well, I think you are doing an amazing job. I mean, uh, just to uh, share some statistics, uh, Wilgro Africa has made a deep impact on the lives of the underprivileged people in Africa, which you mentioned. Uh, you have impacted more than 1 million lives, invested about over 800,000 24 startups. Now, according to Africa business community, 11% of Africans experience catastrophic spending of healthcare every, every year. Now, 38% delay or forego healthcare because of high cost. Now, something which in happens in a lot of, like you said, low and middle in, uh, income countries. Now, when we talk about this, do shape the impact you created uh, within the healthcare sector. And how do you think technology is uh, leveraging inclusion within the healthcare sector. Uh, just to, you know, I want to congratulate you for the, uh, you have had a deep impact on the lives of the underprivileged people in Africa. We do have um, a very high, let me call it the, the poverty trap, you know, in terms of um, a lot of investment that goes towards development um, in Africa can very quickly be undone by uh, a, a catastrophic health spending. And, and COVID is one uh, good example of, you know, uh, a pandemic that has come and, you know, our, our economies are very vulnerable to this kind of uh, disruptions. Uh, before COVID, we had um, the Ebola outbreak in, in Western Africa and, you know, it, it was it, it reduced some of those countries, uh, you know, back to negative GDP growth, um, and the impact of HIV on, on Africa's economy again was devastating. Um, very high mortality rates, especially for people in their productive years. So, so, so the, the, the this um, poverty trap by when we don't invest in in Africa, in, in Africa, when we fail to invest in health systems and also in making sure that the health services are accessible uh, to the population, and then you know a lot of the gains that we make in other sectors can very quickly be eroded. So, uh, we, we technology is able to help us um, address that. A challenge uh, in several ways. Number one, the the mobile platform, for example, um, it has been a huge catalyst in terms of uh, different kinds of innovation, from fintech uh, to micro insurance products to telemedicine. Uh, so, so, looking at it from again access to healthcare, what we want to do is to achieve uh, affordable healthcare, quality healthcare, uh, and. A so, so, and, and, and you find that, uh, all of these things, something as simple as a mobile platform can be able to speak to that in multiple ways. Uh, another way of being able to do it is also looking at the fourth industrial revolution. So when you're looking at aspects like medical devices and diagnostics, uh, that are interfaced, uh, number one, again, that are built for, 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 for Africa. And why do I say so? We have, uh, a broken market system. So 25% of the global disease burden uh, falling on Africa, but then uh, the same continent being only, you know, 3 to 4% of the global pharmaceutical market, uh, maybe 2% of the global medical devices market uh, because of the low purchasing power. And, and so the need does not equal to demand. So how can we, uh, again, leverage technology to ask uh, why does you know, an ultrasound machine need to you know, fill an entire room? With all the technological advancements, can it be smaller? Can it be you know, cheaper? Can, can it be able to do what needs to be done uh, without sacrificing quality, but at a much cheaper uh, rate? And, and there, there's so many ways that by being able to have multidisciplinary uh, approach to uh, technology development and innovation uh, that we can lower the costs of, of uh, health technologies and, and make healthcare affordable, accessible. Um, and, 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 and so I see the I see technology as a major uh, technology technological innovation as a major game changer in terms of making healthcare accessible.
and helping us to overcome that poverty trap or to spring it. But you also, you know, you mentioned in the report that Lloyd's uh, economies in Africa, you know, some of the highest growing economies and one of them, of course, is Kenya. And I, I think Kenya is also the uh, sustainable development head of uh, Africa. If uh, Am I correct here, Robert? But we, we, we are doing fairly well, uh, but there's still lots of work to be done. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Because, because in Lawrence, like, you know, Ethiopia was there and then there was some problem. So these are the fastest growing uh, economies in the world, but they're not contributing towards elevating poverty in Africa. Because Africa's share in the poverty stricken, uh, in, in, uh, which is like a part of the global share, will rise from 60% in 2016 to over 80% by 2023. Now, what is bothering you? Because it's getting a lot of inequality, which is what is happening. I mean, there was also a report I wrote about India, how inequality is rising so much in India as well. So about the whole scenario, what do you think uh, is what's concerning you? And how do you think we can, uh, you know, Kenya and you know, the whole Africa can make gro the growth more equitable? Okay, yeah, I, I think the, 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 the fast and the low-hanging fruit is, you know, having universal health care. We really need to be deliberate in terms of stringing that poverty trap uh, and being able to have government policies and government universal health care is really important. Uh, not only does it provide uh, uh, the, the financial, you know, it, it removes the burden for out-of-pocket expenses, to access healthcare from the citizens to to government um, and risk pooling mechanisms and all that. Uh, so, so I think there's that immediate benefit that will accrue to the individual citizens and, 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 and their families. The second one is we need to avoid shortcuts. And, and I think um, here I'm looking at the thinking around um, economic development and, and, and industrialization um, that I see in, in, in Kenya and in African economies vis-a-vis -vis the Asian economies. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of high technology, high tech industrialization in, in Africa. What we're really seeing is, um, you know, taking shortcuts like setting up uh, export processing zones, you know, EPZs, that when you look at it, uh, you know, it's, they, they, they are very appealing for a short-sighted uh, political class that wants to be able to point at jobs that they've created when they were in office and things like that. But, but in reality, what they are is, is a race to the bottom. We are competing against each other to offer tax breaks. We are competing against each other to offer cheap labor. And, and what the, 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 the the manufacturers will do is that they will, you know, jump from one country to another uh, as they exhaust the tax breaks and whatever else they're, they're, they're given to welcome them there. So, so let's we need to find ways of understanding how do we maximize local value chains? How do we have homegrown innovation and homegrown uh, manufacturing uh, base that can be able to, you know, properly build. Uh, you know, uh, a knowledge-driven economy, and and similarly, we also need to shift from the extractive economies. You know, this idea of if we're able to mine oil or gold or diamond or you know the the rare arts, in, 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 you know, that are used for making the chips, uh, computer chips, and all that. How can we be able to move from an extractive economy to a knowledge economy? And 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 to me, that is where the it's, it's really largely uncharted waters for most of the African economies. And because of not being able to do so, uh, we are, in almost every case, being set up for extraction and then uh, being set up as a market for, for the value-added product, where even where we have the, the, the potential to do the value addition locally and to be an export-focused uh, economy. So, so to me, I think that, that those are the key things that we need to address. And, and the last one is to understand that there's another major advantage of, uh, another, another, another major paradigm shift, which is to move from um, 
the informal sector uh, focus. Uh, and, and, and I think if you look at countries like Kenya, East Africa, uh, the, the microfinance space has been a runaway success. But, but microfinance really speaks to livelihoods. It doesn't speak to um, formal businesses, building uh, companies that can, again, within the knowledge-driven economy, what we do is we, we're building a tax base, we're building you know, export-focused companies, uh, multinationals from the blueprint. Uh, and, and as they grow and as they mature, they are able to have the ability to withstand some of these disrupt disruptions or, or economic shocks like the COVID pandemic, uh, which when you look at uh, an economy that is so, so, so heavily dependent on the informal sector, uh, livelihoods, kind of entrepreneurship, uh, micro-entrepreneurs, uh, the, the, the ability to withstand shocks is much, much less. So, so how can we build the formal sector? How can we build a knowledge-driven economy? Is, is really going to be the, 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 to me, when I look at it, I see it as a key difference between the Asian tigers and, and the, the, the African lions. Um, that ability to create jobs that are, you know, sustainable, uh, that can uplift the masses and create a middle class, uh, in, in a big way. Uh, to me, that those, those, those are the things that I believe, uh, from a policy standpoint. Uh, we need to be able to focus on. That's you know you talk about something very interesting. You talked about a couple of things. You want to make universal uh, universal healthcare, and uh, one of the reasons I think you, what you're thinking is uh, raising tax. Do you think that's one of the things we how you'll be the government would be raising taxes on corporations and uh, individuals, specifically the wealthy ones? You think that's something which can be used to make universal healthcare? Yes, but also a, a universal tax because what happens is, um, so if you look at a country like Kenya, more than 80% of the employment is in the informal sector. So informal sector is, these are businesses, uh, enterprises that in most cases are not uh, re registered. Uh, yeah, so the, exactly like India, I was about to come to that second question. Good, you, you know, spoke so they don't pay things like the 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 the, the, the labor you earn or you know the, the income tax for individual employees. They 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 avoid that. Uh, you cut the tax uh, bracket is the universal taxes, the um, the the taxes that we pay when we are buying you know uh, fuel and things like that. So, so by and large, they operate in a space that's free of tax. It's the government's uh, resources. They're taking advantage of that, but they don't contribute to the kitty. So, so to me, I think we do need to look at even innovative ways of taxing, whether it's from the cashless, and since we have a huge uh, uh, movement from cash-based economy to, to more digital, uh, mobile based uh, currencies and uh, you know, transactions and all that. So, so how can we have a more fair, a more equitable tax system um, and then be able to now invest in things like UFC? Yeah, yeah it's very true. And I think M-Pesa has become a quite a hit. Uh, that it's very true, like how you bring in digital currency in, and that I think is going to make uh, the, the whole economy more efficient. And you're very correct about the informal economy. That's what also I wrote in one of the reports, which I've seen. I mean, I think in India, about uh, 80, 80 or 90% is like in informal economy. And that's, that's, I think, a very uh, insightful take. Now, I come to something which is very extraordinary happening in Africa. You recently invested in rescue.com. So that's a, one of the companies collaborating with Ministry of Health in Kenya and uh, Bold, and there are a lot of other uh, places where it's collaborated. It's known as Wheels for Life. Now, Wheels of Life enables uh, expectant mothers to reach the hospitals during curfew hours. The inventive share is a significant success during the pandemic, especially with all the mothers who have used this service have survived. Now, this is something incredible. I checked out the site and I was, I, I, I think it's a, a phenomenal idea, which is scalable, which could also be done in India. 
very specifically so do share about how this remarkable idea took root um so this was an idea that you know started with um the the the, the entrepreneurs themselves and and uh, rescue is a company that we incubated and you know they successfully graduated from our incubation program uh, but as we were looking at the the pandemic um, the covid pandemic happening and and you know eventually uh, initially looking at it in china and then seeing it moving across the world until where it was here in kenya we, we we asked ourselves what can we do how can we be part of the response to 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 this to this pandemic and we were able to put to reach out to our partners and quickly put together a small covid fund um that we said we should be able to allow uh, innovators to try out various ideas just to see you know to, to again uh, build uh, resilience to our health system because we already seen the collapse of the supply chains the global supply chains and all of that uh, and, and and the ramifications of it in the, in the health system um and and it's also good to to point out that for for us in africa our health systems have been so underfunded for a long time that we are again worried about what's going to be happening here um and and I, and i think the the predictions uh initially were pointing at a really horrible uh worst case scenario for africa so so we we really wanted to make sure that anything that we can do uh to bring solutions quickly to the table uh would be can could be we, we, that's in our part to do we are going to do so and so rescue approached us and and basically said uh we have this initiative where you know they they had already been providing and let me first talk about rescue and why we incubated them in the first place um they realized that when you're in a city like nairobi um and uh you you had a heart attack by you know you the misfortune of any heart attack in a restaurant in the office or or something like that or even at home um there's a precious few minutes within the medical attention uh first aid and all that and get you to a hospital that would make the difference as to what the prognosis would be and and what they realize is um we do not have uh, a a a public you know, number or within the public system uh the equivalent of the 911 in the US in, in Kenya back in the days we used to call it 999 uh and, and as we were going through the structural adjustment program from the world bank um some of these amenities that the public sector is provide just just stopped and, and there's nothing that filled that gap and and so they said how can we solve this problem as a social enterprise and and, and what we loved about their thinking and their approach is we realized that it's not a problem that's unique to Kenya or to Nairobi it's a problem that you find in a lot of our uh, in, in the global south whether you're in India or Latin America or you know western africa we generally ha- don't have uh a 911 to call um so how do we deal with emergencies how do you provide ambulatory care and they built out an uber platform or an uber for ambulances where they were able to uh partner with ambulance owners that were all doing their own little thing uh bring them together and then build out an ai platform and we were able to work with them and see them um leverage artificial intelligence um uh and machine learning to reduce the emergency response time for ambulances from over 40 minutes to less than half that in 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 a space of about a year or two um and and, and out of that fraction uh they started becoming a, a partner to government whenever we had you know things like you know the the, the elections uh or something you know if there, if there was a terrorist attack or something like that uh, the government quickly realized that we can count on these guys to bring to bear their ambulatory services in a very timely and effective manner 
and 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 so when the COVID pandemic happened, um, the, the the curfews came into play, and 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 so there was this issue of how do I, if 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 my wife is 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 expectant, uh, it's curfew hours, uh, it's very difficult to move from here to the hospital. Um, what do we do in, in, in this particular case? And and so as as having already shown the potential and and the effectiveness that they have, they they they, they were able to partner with the government uh, and the the local government in Nairobi especially to provide their services um, uh, and to partner with CSR organizations. To, to create that safety net for, for maternal child health. And, and this was such a success that um, it was quickly scaled up into other into the neighboring counties um, within that time when we were having our first uh, lockdown. And, and, um, and again, just to speak to the effectiveness of uh, ambulatory services that are you know, working within minutes, not hour or half an hour plus um, it is just a lifesaver very simple very basic uh, service but it really takes you know a, again technology and a social enterprise uh, thinking to to bring technology to bear and to actually have a life-saving impact oh great um now no, you shape a lot of interesting you know insights a lot of interesting facts but i wanted to ask you now as an add-on before i go to the question on uh, genomics which i really want to ask you because you're an expert is that you talk about world bank now world bank and african development bank are doing a lot of work so how do you think that has been enabling a sustained uh, social change and impact in africa you think uh, how do you rank uh, that work uh, how critical is that work which they bring in especially in the healthcare sector Oh boy, I, I, that's a good question. <laughs> no, I just wanted to African Development Bank is doing a lot of interesting work. I think it was rated one of the best multi development banks in the world. I'm not sure on that. I can find out, fact check that. I was just like keen to know because World Bank, and I keep reading that World Bank is doing this, you know, African Development Bank. And I think they are some of the most critical enablers, uh, specifically in the development sector. From your experience generally, and I'm sure you meet so many. How would you, what would your thoughts be on that? Just a very journalistic opinion. You think yeah. How they are helping, how I, they help more? I, I think they're doing a lot of good work. I mean, we cannot, um, we cannot overstate the value that uh, these organizations are doing. So if you look at uh, what the World Bank has, has been doing, um, the, so the health sector, let me put it this way. As, as I pointed out earlier, Africa's health system is, or market as within the health sector is, is there's a broken market system. Uh, our need does not translate to demands. So we don't have the private sector tripping over themselves to come and serve our health needs. And so the health sector has been the domain of the development agencies of donor funding um, and, you know, uh, philanthropy um, as, as you know as, that has really been the mainstay of the health system between them and government government spending so so we have to give credit where it's due I think the, the, there's been a lot of uh, great support within the health system from all of these uh, development agencies I, I that stated I think it's also important to say that there's also room for improvement and in particular, um, one of the things that people, you know, and I love the, the framing that the United Nations came up with of sustainable development goals. How do we do this work in a sustainable way? Um, and there's a nuanced approach to it where we need to understand how do we shift gears from philanthropy, from donor funding to a resilient systems, building value chains to building uh, market-driven approaches that can achieve the same in, in a more sustainable manner. And, and the, the biggest uh, challenge I face from as, as I, when, I, when I'm looking at, at the health sector space as build is 
there's very little appreciation uh, for startups. Uh, everybody wants to see scale yesterday. So if you are do not already, if you're not already operating at scale, uh, it's very difficult to find an entry point into the value chains. Uh, and within the development uh, agencies, the philanthropic funding, the, don the DFIs and government funding, um, the, there has to be, you know, we cannot just invest, invest with a short-term thinking. We also need to be able to start investing with a long-term thinking of saying, how do we start small? And, 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 and for me, the caveat is, you know, to be honest, we don't have an option other than to start small. As I, you know, we don't have, uh, the big multinationals, uh, building technologies for our market. We are an underserved market. We need to build that, those technologies ourselves. We need to build the, 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 the farms, the companies that can build those technologies. So we need to start small, but also it's good to highlight, you know, starting small, is, is inescapable, but staying small is, is inexcusable. Uh, our need is so great that these companies need to be built properly. They need to be scalable proper, uh, companies that will actually uh, scale and deliver impact in a much more sustainable way. So that middle ground of being able to uh, interface the long-term thinking with the short-term, uh, very immediate thinking is 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 is, is the it to me is, is is a bone of contention. Um, easy to start up to create a startup um, like um, like 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 rescue, and then have you know donor funding or um, philanthropy come in and you know just knock you out of business by providing the same things for free. Uh, very short-sighted uh, actions that can you know totally erode industry and and kill industry and kill entrepreneurship and kill sustainability. Okay, cool. Yeah, but yeah, it's so true that you have to be scalable. I mean, and, and I think, uh, like you said, there are a lot of enablers which could help on to, uh, you know, enterprises to just scale up. And uh, so, yeah, now I come to a very interesting question. You talked about so much of healthcare. So according to ALT network in Africa, about fewer than 50% have access to modern healthcare facilities. But ha but then Africa has like about 25% of the global disease burden. Now, you are right that Africa did a good job in co containing COVID-19. I mean, it's uh, there was a lot of, like, like I've said, you should always prepare for the worst and do it so that, you know, when you prepare for the worst, you'll always come on the top. Usually you will take a uh, lot of visionary steps and leveraging technology, which you talked about. So that was a very good initiative. Now, when you're talking about like with health coverage, which is about 4% in Africa and government expenditure is less than 10% of the GDP, uh, how can genomics, now genomics is a very interesting field, which is catalyzing the healthcare sector. Uh, genomics helped a lot, you know, initially even China used genomics to do genomics uh, sequencing of uh, SARS-CoV-2, which helped the world a lot. My particular question will be divided into a few sections. One, of course, when you're talking about COVID, you could talk about genomics, the importance of genomics, and the importance of genomic sequencing, especially when there are a lot of mutations, you know, there, there are a lot of threats of mutations coming in. So how important is that for a country to be, you know, keep using that uh, for diagnostic or vaccination purposes? Wow, uh, I, I think, it's, wow, genomics is definitely going to be, and it already is, uh, the biggest uh, driver for the pharmacology innovation, you know, for, for the for, for, for pharmaceuticals uh, sector innovation. Um, and, and we are already seeing, you know, what we talked of in terms of uh, not too long ago, precision medicine was something that, Sounded wow, you know, very futuristic. Uh, but today it's something that's there. You can get your, uh, your genome, your, your full genome sequenced uh, for less than a thousand dollars. Today. Um, so the technology has, in terms of cost, in terms of um, the, the, the accessibility, it's, it's, it's already there. For conditions like cancer, um, we already seen a shift whereby, um, it's not a matter of just 
coming up with a drug uh, and administering the drug to you know anybody. The drugs are already being built with the knowledge of these are the gene in our population, and this population will do better with this drug vis-à-vis this kind of gene set and, and and all that. So so this is likely going to be the you know it, it's becoming more and more mainstream. Um, and, and again, even as you're talking about COVID, you know, what we've been seeing is we're now talking of all of these different variants emerging from different parts of the world, um, India, South Africa, the UK strain, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and, and Tanzania, I think uh, we, we recently were seeing new variants that have not been seen anywhere else in the world. And, and with different characteristics, with different um, um, implications in terms of the epidemiology of the disease and how do you control it. So, so to me, the, the genomics um, as a technology is here to stay. It's, it's really uh, becoming a fundamental tool in the biomedical sciences and increasingly uh, to, to become uh, the, a mainstay also in, in the healthcare delivery. Um, and as Africa, we do have a major challenge. So if you look at all of the human genome uh, database uh, in its entirety across the entire world. Uh, we, uh, we as Africans and people of African descent, we, we are not represented. Um, I, I, as recent as uh, 2019, there's a publication that was pointing out the fact that African DNA is 2.03% of all of the entire global database of human genome that, that exists. So this is the genome that is, you know, from which we are looking at in terms of um, uh, designing of drugs, designing of vaccines. Um, it's the same one that we're looking at in terms of um, gene therapy and, and other, you know, all these advances that biotechnology is bringing uh, to bear. And, and when you have, again, a population that is roughly about 11% of the global population, 25% of the global disease burden, but 2% of, of, the, of the entire genomic database, um, you, you start to realize not only uh, we, we actually now being locked out of pharmaceutical or biotechnology innovation. And, and this is making a situation that is already bad extremely bad. And, and what do I mean? If you look at um, something like the HIV pandemic, um, it took, there was a 10-year lag from when ARVs became widely available in the, in the North uh, to when those same drugs started becoming available in Africa, notwithstanding that Africa was already bearing the, the brunt of the disease. So if we normally, if, if without genomics, we have a 10-year lag plus, 10-year plus lag phase from when drugs are introduced uh, in, 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 in the developed countries, when they become readily available in, in our markets. Then now you throw in the genomic, genomics as, as, as a further bottleneck in terms of our access to health technologies. Um, we are in a really very precarious situation. And so, the solution, obviously, is to build capacity within Africa for, for genomics and, and, and for pharmacogenomics and, and all the uh, promising research and innovation uh, uh, tangents that come out of genomics. And, and, and being able to do so will then be able to really uh, reestablish our uh, drugs, um, vaccines, uh, innovation security. So I'm not even talking of just the availability of drug security. I'm not talking of the drug <laughs> vaccines innovation security, if, if, if I was to call it that, uh, just by making it possible to actually have uh, pharmaceutical products that are going to work for our populations also. You know, you, you spoke about, uh, and you know, there's a lot of reports. Even Bill Gates was, you know, like, like you're correct. A lot of people had predicted, uh, you know, because of the COVID, 
uh, Africa, so many things would happen, which actually didn't happen. And in a lot of ways, I would say Africa was ahead of the curve in implementing certain uh, practices. Now you talked about investing in like core companies, which would help. And that was a good, very good example, which we discussed. And, and, and you, you spoke about rescue, uh, you know, uh, uh, startup. Now, apart from that, uh, what do you think could be a couple of things which maybe uh, things went right? Because of that, maybe the effect of COVID-19 was not as devastating as it was predicted. It could be like maybe lockdowns at the proper period of time. It could be social distancing norms. It could be testing. What do you think uh, was some of the right things? which not only Kenya did or other parts of Africa, you know, there are certain places which are doing really good. Read about it a bit. Uh, Rwanda, I think, was uh, is implementing certain uh, practices which really helped. So just to have an idea about you. I, I, I think, um, number one, we in Africa, infectious diseases are still a big challenge. Hmm. And, and so there has been a lot of investment in terms of the the expertise from being able to control, being able to even do elimination programs and things like that for some of these infectious diseases. And and I think uh we had a head start, so to speak, in terms of being able to read what's happening and start acting uh, uh automatically and, and even in doing so, um we were not wasting a lot of time on trainings and things like that. It was just really uh, activating uh, existing uh, capabilities um, and, and bringing them to place. So I think Africa was uh, a little bit blessed in that sense. The, then the second side of it, um, in terms of uh, the, the COVID response that we saw in Africa, is the population's willingness to obey government and to uh, take you know to to to, to agree to going to lockdowns um, where things like masks i mean it's not like it was uh, you know just i think asia I, I see a lot more compliance uh in places like china taiwan korea but but, but i think for us we nevertheless we were still uh, understanding and trusting government's leadership uh, so that when you are told uh, don't travel, uh, don't do one, two, three. Uh, we did not uh, politicize it. We, didn't, we understood that these are extraordinary times and these are extraordinary measures and they're temporary. And, and the government was uh, able to, you know, monitor the situation and whenever possible give us the, you know, the relief of lifting some of the very stringent uh, measures that they had taken. So that was also really helpful. Um, the government was um, both proactive, but also and public outcry when things were extremely restrictive and we were wondering how do we survive. Um, the, the and, and then ultimately, I think the, the, the we've just been fortunate that our very relatively weak health systems uh, have not been you know challenged head on. Um, by a huge COVID uh, outbreak. Um, yes, the numbers have been there, but they really have not been that big, with the exception of maybe South Africa and Egypt. So, so when I when I look at it, uh, I think there'll be a lot of research that has to be done later to pinpoint what exactly were the factors that uh, saved us. But but I think it's good to give credit where credit is due. Uh, the governments were quick to respond. Uh, uh, the, 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 the populations were trusting and uh, followed the government's leadership, and, and overall, we, we did try to come together to, to to make it harder for this disease to come and establish uh, a presence. Um, and yeah, <laughs> yeah it fortunate, I guess. Yeah, true. I mean, you you spoke like you know, I really love what you said is these are extraordinary time and these are extraordinary steps and everybody knows this is temporary. So I think uh, that's uh, precisely what uh, is great about this mindset, what people took. And um, you spoke right, I mean, China did great, Korea did great, I mean, Japan did great. But I mean, the stories of Vietnam and New Zealand, how they 
have come up are extraordinary you know and uh, this i think during this pandemic has uh, also reflected a lot good of how you know like africa i recently did research in kenya and rwanda and both kenya and rwanda the the cases are going down at least the daily cases so i'm sure at some point in time there's be flattening of the curve i haven't seen that uh, so i really don't know maybe a flatten that i really don't know what's happening on that uh, but the, the at least the daily cases have been going down so yeah true i mean uh, you know so, some of the work is very due credit i think is, uh, in a lot of countries in africa they sort of realize what the risk is which you said and they took preemptive measures and they are, you know you all had for example ebola you talked about uh, now ebola has a 50% of uh, i read it's it's was one of the deadliest viruses 50% of uh, in the sense it would kill 50% of the people right so mortality was very high uh, in ebola and to sort of come out of that would be a huge achievement and, and and those were the lessons and and, and i think being able to uh, look at it and ask if we overcome this then you know what is it that how can we be able to apply the same you know africa is a very vibrant continent uh, so there are a lot of things which are happening now and there's a lot of awareness spreading so when you talk about gender lens investing that's a major issue today so as a leading impact investor what sort of enablers are you employing uh, to accelerate and nurture women led uh, entrepreneurs um yes so this is one area that i think um we we have a lot to a lot of work to do and um even as we grow one of the things we've been asking ourselves is how can we have um more women representation within our leadership how can you have more women representation at board level at top management our pipeline uh, in our portfolio companies um and 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 it's not easy um we are working at the interface of you know science and industry and finance and you know everywhere you look um it, there's a gender challenge there's a gender imbalance in 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 stem in, in science technology engineering and mathematics there is a gender imbalance in venture capital or investment banking um there is yeah so, so there's a, a gender imbalance in entrepreneurship um women are we know they make great entrepreneurs we see uh higher than uh, average uh returns in, in women led startups but you also have to appreciate that the work life balance for women is is a much bigger issue because they are also the homemakers they are the caregivers they are there's all these uh things in terms of within the society's roles that women do above and beyond what men do and 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 so there is that very slim um um uh, pipeline or or talent pool uh for for, for the space that we are operating in but but we are becoming more proactive and and one of the things that i i believe um is makes it very simple to to start making progress is to measure uh what gets measured gets done uh so so we've been asking the question uh of ourselves every time we put out a call how many women applied uh what were the barriers how can we be able to uh understand from women those barriers and start to address them um and and this learnings you know incremental uh, learnings are, are we, we as as are, are, as we apply them we are, we're hoping to begin to see more and more women uh entrepreneurs within our portfolio and, and more and more women within our our, our leadership teams and and, and 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 governance and all that and 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 ultimately um i think it's to humanity's loss uh when when we don't see the capacity 50% of our human race uh coming to bear on the big challenges that we're facing the big developmental challenges um my my thinking is it's our it's, you know it's it's to our loss it's to our shame and we they, they, we're not there's so much more that needs to be done 
to really capture that part of you know that, that the wealth uh, uh, of human talent, innovation, entrepreneurial, uh, and otherwise that that is just untapped. No, oh, very good. So a lot of things are happening. Uh, you talked we talked about healthcare, which is one of equitable health healthcare. It's so important, which even I feel like in India or so many other countries, that's one of the most important enablers. Now, quality education is another. There's a lot of financial inclusion going on in Africa. You could you talked about STEM, you know, STEM education also. So quality education becomes a very important enabler here. Then there's wash segment, uh, another one. And I feel like one of the most important uh, parts of Africa, I think one of the greatest, uh, you know, is that natural beauty in Africa and that should be preserved. All of them, which were particular one sector you will say is like, okay, I feel like these are more important. You want to sort of say, okay, uh, healthcare, I do understand, but which other would you give one of the most, if you had, let's say, uh, only uh, time for a couple of sectors, which two sectors would you say are the most important right now for Africa? Uh, I think, uh, without a doubt, agriculture. Um, we are still a food insecure continent. We, we, we are dependent on imports to be able to feed our population. Um, and yet, I think we still have the most, um, from what I read, I think Africa has the largest available arable land. Um, so, so we are not we are punching below our our our, our weight, yeah, uh, <laughs> and we are we are having one of the fastest growing populations. So so how can we um, again build a knowledge driven economy? And 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 here the mismatch is very simple. Um, the developed countries have been able to have a, a green revolution by virtue of going large, in, you know, focusing on large scale. Uh, plantations. In Africa, it's all about the small holder farms. And there's an innovation gap that needs to be filled whereby we start asking, how do we bring this uh, mechanization of agriculture, not for large-scale plantations, not for the, you know, those huge combat, what do you call them? Yeah, um, I see these amazing tractors that have a processing plant all together as they go through the field. <laughs> um, if my land is a half an acre, an acre, two acres, five acres, um, those, that kind of machinery, uh, mechanization will not help us. Um, how do we also then uh, address the market? Because to me, I think if you want people to invest in agriculture, we need to understand what are the, uh, market failures we have within the, within, within our economies. Um, is it lack of data? Is it lack of access to markets for, for farmers? Is it lack of quality? So, so there's a lot of work that can be done in, in agriculture. Uh, how can we avoid post-harvest losses, uh, process foods? Um, you know, so, so there's so much work that I think needs to be done in agriculture. Um, that, you know, if you're hungry, Nobody's gonna focus on anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, that's so, right. so we need to do that. And, and the second one is manufacturing in a big way, and 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 you know start to say how do we get local value addition happening? How do we get trade happening within the continent, intra Africa, so, so that it's clear? Uh, um, you know, if, if places like East Africa are doing very well in livestock. This is like West Africa doing the cocoa, and you know we can have regional trade. Uh, but but I, I think so far when I look at Africa, our infrastructure, our trade uh, systems are built for Africa, you know, Kenya to Europe to Asia to you know. So that has been a huge gap. Uh, in terms of the way we are, we've gone about uh, nation building and uh, addressing our developmental challenges. So, you know, thanks. We had a very riveting, we had a very insightful, very informative uh, conversation. 
and there are a lot of things which you know made it so clear the lot of things which you now if you can take a wheel you put that lot of dots which are missing so that you can connect a lot of the, you know the overall picture and development sector so before i go to the last aha question you know where you can share one of the happy moments i do know you had your own share of tragedy during the covid 19 so you'd like to share something about it and what do you think uh, anything about covid which you think is in uh, kenya very specifically or anything which is going okay and which could get better or anything to say and then we'll go to the last aha question yeah so i i, I thank you and and uh, thanks nishan uh, yes we at, at a personal level um just recently lost my father um to you know talk of an untimely death because it, it was a really big blow to us uh, this is a man who honestly um, was never sick he enjoyed a very good healthy life um, and we were expecting um, he's going to be around for a long time but but so he's his demise was uh, it's a big blow to to me personally to my family um and you know it just goes to show that um this covid pandemic is very real um we we are fortunate uh that um you know we were still being able to access healthcare and so many things but that's not normal that's not uh, uh, something that you take for granted uh i know people who um you know, for example our health system we depend a lot on medical tourism to india for any advanced care you know whether you're talking of cancer or advanced surgeries and all that and you know even just looking at what's happening in india and realizing that that has forced a lot of people that were already getting treatment to have to come back so that they got better but just because the health system there had fast response to a pandemic um and you know as we are speaking it's you know now initially we were talking of the covid now we are getting indirect covid deaths people who were getting the cancer treatments the heart uh, surgeries and all that happening in india have had to come back um and it's disrupted their care unfortunately we are beginning to lose them and 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 so we are interconnected in many ways and and we i think we just need to be able to understand um uh, that investing in healthcare investing in the in the infrastructure um investing in resilience of our health systems is is important we we, we do need to uh, address some of the most basic issues in crisis um uh, it's been one of my biggest uh, worries uh, for africa um knowing that even before covid we we really didn't have uh, oxygen readily available uh for a mother to see their child receiving oxygen they would almost give up because it's such a rare commodity that it's only the very very sick cases that would get it so it doesn't come in as a treatment it comes in as palliative care almost uh so, so you know already within our society we know the prognosis immunity see oxygen being administered that's a very poor prognosis uh because that means if you are so serious you qualified finally qualified to get a very uh, rare commodity so 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 how do we view this a lot more robust that's a lot more resilient uh to me i think you know going back to my argument of frugal innovation why does it cost so much for this oxygen uh if we don't we are the ones who have the need for frugal innovation the west doesn't they can afford uh to pay for unnecessarily expensive health technologies uh simply because in the, for them they have the resources uh for us <laughs> we need to do more with less and so the the frugal engineering uh, principles really need to come to bear to solve our problems for us create uh, health technologies that are affordable we don't need all the bells and whistles we, we we just need something that gets the job done um and make healthcare more more affordable so, so to me that is uh, i'm very passionate about making healthcare accessible understanding what are the key drivers of costs for healthcare and then the second part of it is preventive is better than curative 
Um, and, and this is tough. Um, nobody values health until they lose it. So how do you incentivize people to invest in, <laughs> in preventive healthcare? I love some of the very important things. Preventive is better than cure. It's so good. I mean, like in a few words, I think you just put words in my mouth. Those are the words maybe that made a lot of uh, countries in Africa be ahead of the curve, which I talked about. And they implemented and we should. So now I come to the last question. Uh, you always have aha moments, right? Anything which sort of gives a smile to your face. So you could share uh, with the audience any anything which you think uh, which it could be something from your job. It could be something which you see in recent life, which brings a smile. I know you're very passionate about, you know, Africa doing good. And Kenya is one of the most important countries, not only in Africa, in the world. I think Kenya is now on the threshold of maybe taking or guiding a lot of economies in Africa, laying down the parameters or benchmarks. And it's like, like you also mentioned a very critical thing, which I, you know, I wanted to elaborate. You said uh, Africa would be the... I will have the highest population of young population in the world maybe another 10 years right the highest in the world and yeah unemployment could be one big scenario which you know indirectly you also hinted is something which uh, africa has to think about and you know, how to get employment how to uh, but saying that and talk about any um i i think for me uh it goes back to my my, my time in sweden and that's the light bulb that went on that the science that I'm doing um, is actually an economic activity. And, and how do we interface science with, with private sector? Uh, and, and, and to me, um, it's, it's, it's very fulfilling. Um, if you'd have asked me, you know, uh, some time back, I'd tell you, uh, if I was to go back to university, I'd probably not do economics. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I love understanding how the world works and, and being able to build um, uh, economic interventions. But, but I'm realizing, I, being a scientist is actually the front line. We're, we're the front line soldiers in terms of uh, economic development. And and how do I get more and more scientists? How do I get more and more engineers to to think that way and to hold that that process? Because the minute we're able to do so, the minute we're able to um, not do science just for the publications and the you know we have a very weird um, academia culture that it's it's all about pub, you know publish publish or perish is what we say. Uh, your, 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 your promotion, your academic, your, your career progress is all measured purely on publications. Um, I, I think we are not wealthy enough as, as low middle income countries thinking outside the box and being multidisciplinary in our uh, approach to the sciences we do. Um, I'd rather we did less publications and had more impact from science. Yeah, you spoke about Sweden. I know Sweden is one of the most fantastic countries in the world. I mean, it's uh, so it's very innovative. One of the most innovative countries in the world. So yeah, true. Uh, thank you. I wanted to uh, thank you, Robert. You have done. You know, thank you for sharing such a in depth. You took a lot of time. You shared your thoughts. You shared your facts. Uh, I really want to thank you for uh, you know being there on the platform, the middle road, and speaking to me. I appreciate that a lot. Thank you, Nishant, and uh, th thanks for having me and, you know, great questions. And I'm looking forward to being an avid listener to all of your podcasts. Thanks, Lord. Really appreciate that.